The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello everybody, welcome to today's show. Today I'd like to welcome singer-songwriter Ulton Conlon from Lockray, who is here with us today. Ulton Conlon has shared the stage with the likes of Jackson Brown, Shelby Lynn, John Fogarty, Mavis Staples, Brian Ferry, John Grant, Eddie Reader, Patty Griffin and Richard Hawley, amongst others. Ulton has also performed duets with Glenn Hansford and John Martin, and Martin recorded Ulton's song Really Gone in 2005. Many of Ulton's lauded songs have received extensive airplay in Ireland on RT Radio 1, Lyric FM and the UK BBC. RT Radio 1, Marty Whelan, Lyric FM and Eve Blair, BBC Radio Ulster all deem There's a Waltz as their recommended album of the week. He currently has an album out called There's a Waltz and a new single with Gabby Moreno called The River Flows. Welcome to the show, Alton. Thanks, Simon. Nice to, nice to be on. Thanks for asking me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. It, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. We, you know, I had you in my sights for a while. I said, I must get Alton on. He's doing some great work there. And, you know, it'd be interesting to hear your story and your point of view on, on the whole music industry and, and how it is for you. <laughs> you know yeah it's it's a little difficult isn't it the whole music scene in ireland right now yeah i mean yeah it is i mean before the pandemic hit i guess last march you know it would be um safe to say it was hard then as well you know the way like 10 or 15 years ago cds would have been selling i'd say you could have sold 10 times more cds than you would you know by 2020 and so you have the Spotify thing going on, which doesn't gen- only generates some income for a very, very small percentage at the top of the, the pile, you know. So I think anyway, Simon, you know, the original music was difficult to make a living from. Um, and then when the pandemic hit and, and gigs were gone, I mean, that is, you know, that's kind of decimating the scene, really, because I know personally, for me, when I release an album or a single or whatever, and when it does when it gets a few plays on radio, that's always a nice thing. But like that, I usually use that as a vehicle to set a gig in Dublin or Cork or mm. and and go yeah. and do your gig where you can meet punters and they can get a real sense of you. They can buy CDs and stuff like that. So it's definitely been very challenging. Like there's no doubt about it because my record came out in April, the middle of April, so one month after lockdown. So like that was just that through everything um, up in the air, obviously. Uh, for, for people who had scheduled releases last year and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're because you know yourself, with, with music releases, you're planning months in advance, even with a single. And the thing is, then you're thinking, okay, let's put it out in March or April. And all of a sudden, this huge worldwide pandemic starts and you're thinking, shit, do I delay it? Or, and then you go, well, it'll probably be here for another year or so, so I may as well put it out. But the the emphasis is kind of gone on everything, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing much you can do. I mean, you just have to go with what you can. Well, exactly. Like, to be honest, when the pandemic hit first, you know, I was, I had PR organized in Ireland, in the UK, in America. Like, so that was already, you know organized i couldn't pull back on on them people the 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 ball was already rolling you know but like to be honest when the pandemic hit i immediately 
forgot about the album because I was just in such shock as to what was going on. <laughs> you know, I I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I retreated to my house, like, you know, I think a few days before anyone else locked down because, you know, I think I was like that guy at the beginning of the movie telling everyone, like, you know, get in or there's a shark in the water. I was, I was one of them people. The end trying, is nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had an absolute panic attack about that so I, I kind of went to my home and just that's all I couldn't think about the album but then obviously a couple of weeks before the release I just went into that survival mode with it and like I promoted the whole thing for my house I did a video a day where I started chatting into the um the phone at first I was kind of you know sheepish about it because I was out of my comfort zone and I chat into the phone and play a song and plug the album but I did a song a day for about four months and like it worked really well. Like I ended up selling so many records from my home and posting them off every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a weird thing. Had the pandemic not hit, I wouldn't have done that. And I don't know what I've sold as many actual physical copies. Now, probably if I had shows, I would have, but, um, it was certainly interesting to see. And then you see, you also had the undivided attention of people because they were all stuck at home as well. Um, and if I was doing this song a day, you know, people were tuning in every day and it kind of worked out. But, you know, after a few months, then you can't, that can't go on forever. So then I stopped doing that. And then you just kind of hit a wall because you have no outlet for your music. You know, you can't get in the car and go up to Dublin and do a show. Or I had a tour booked in the UK with Eddie Reader, like a 12 night tour that was, um, something I was, you know, hoping to get from Eddie for a few years. Like, so that was me getting to a point where I finally got that, that UK tour that I craved for, for about eight or nine years. So that's disappointing, you know, you, you kind of feel like finally all this work you're doing is, um, all this work you've done is starting to pay off a little and, and, you know, to get out, out of Ireland and do a tour like that in the UK, um, would have been amazing. So that was obviously all scratched as well. That's pretty difficult because, Especially, as you said, if you're kind of getting up another rung on the ladder and you're finding somebody who you, you know, you've been dying to play with and it's a big deal for you and it, it can really help your career. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, no, no shows, nothing's happening. Stay in your bedroom. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a shame because I know from before, like when I went to America, you know, I went over numerous times. I recorded my last album there. But like any time you go on a trip like that to do gigs or something, um, I mean, sure, you've got punters who hear you in the audience and you get a few new fans and, and they buy CDs and they, they follow you. But um, the, the thing, too, is you meet some great people and you end up getting stuff off that other gigs. It's kind of it's impossible gauge what you can get from these things, you know, like there's probably a great few friendships there that I never you never got to make, you know, as well. And um, that's kind of the, the sad side about all of that, you know, when, when stuff like that is cancelled. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like with music and everything, there's this whole networking side and, and it's from the gigs and from those recording sessions, you meet other people and then you're like, oh, yes. hey, we could work together in the future or why don't we do this or, you know, and, and the thing is, it's very hard to get that over Zoom and over, you know, the social media, isn't it? Well, you know what? It's probably easier to get it over Zoom because at least you can chat to somebody and get a sense of them, what they're like. But I would, yeah, I'd argue that over Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, it's nonsense. Like, you you, you can't, like, I, you know, you have the odd relationship on there with people who you like and share posts with and you might have a mutual respect, but like you, you have to meet people face to face and 
chat with them and get a sense of them. And, you know, some of them you really hit it off with. And I, I think it's more about that, Simon, really. Like, it's like, I know it's all connections, but um, the best connections I've ever made, you know, in my career have been people who I've actually got genuine friendships with, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, he, here's the thing, the problem, whatever the problems we had with Facebook and social media before, now Facebook is turning into this thing where it's kind of reactions only. So, for example, you put up a song or something and, you know, you might get two or three people or hundreds, it depends, but that say, oh, I really like that. It touched the nerve or, it, you know, it made me think of something and whatever. But nowadays people are getting a bit lazy and they're just pressing the like and the hearts and the reactions. And so you don't really know if they really like it because it's very easy to press those buttons, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, if we all fall for it at home. You see the likes are being hit and you get that, um, what you get, you got kind of get that adrenaline rush, you know, or whatever. The dopamine. Yeah, you get the dopamine hit, like, and you're, you're, you're kind of thrilled for an hour or two that this post is doing so well. And then, then it dives and, and so does your mood. <laughs> like I think yeah. we're, all, we're all the same that way. What I, what I did find was when I did the videos at home, where I chatted into the phone and I was just having a bit of a laugh and being myself or whatever, that them posts did actually get like comments because people felt that was a little bit more real. So they they engaged a lot more with them. But you know, I guess I kind of withdrew back into myself after a few months of that, and I haven't done one of them in a while. Um, but I did notice, like, if I just put up a video of me singing a song with no introduction, you might get likes, but nobody comment. But if you kind of chat and, you know, people tend to want to engage that way. But look, there's still no, like, um, there's it still doesn't replace, you know, doing a show, chatting to people after and seeing people in the flesh or whatever. It, it still doesn't. Like, it's a great vehicle, you know. I, I mean, I wouldn't have sold them CDs. Um, or, or got them kind of new followers and stuff had it not been for, you know, Facebook and Instagram during the lockdown. But um, I think it's obviously, it's a tool really, isn't it? And it needs to be used as Can that. Can I ask you there actually, just something you were mentioning earlier there. How do you feel now? Do you feel like w with regards to Spotify, that artists in the future will start walking away from Spotify? Or do you think it's like a trap in the sense that if you don't have your music on there, even though you're doing it for half nothing or nothing, that you're not going to get as noticed. What do you feel about that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Sure, it's like all of them things. You know, you you kind of don't want to. You don't want to be that lone ranger kind of. You know, leaving it and because anytime anything like that happens, you just come across as unfortunately you just come across as being a bit bitter or something. You know, you have to even yeah. keep up that outwardly thing of being on Spotify, being on all the socials and stuff. Um, like, I put it up there because, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's another place people can hear my music. And But it's a weird one. I, 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 Spotify, I, it's a minefield, really, for me. You know, I put up a single there in, in February. It was a duet with um, a, a really good, a really amazing artist from Guatemala called Gabby Marino. Yeah, beautiful song, The River Flows, lovely. Yeah, and I met her in LA, and like she's a really big name kind of throughout the world, really, so she'd have this really big Spotify following, you know? So when I do the song with her and, and she's um, featured on it, that means the whole algorithm thing on Spotify um, plays my song on different playlists and stuff. And, like, you know, and I've got a couple of friends who are on big, big playlists, 
with a few hundred thousand followers and stuff, but like they don't really notice any great knock on effect from that. Maybe a few quid, but like you don't really get people messaging. I heard you on Spotify. If you're on the radio, you'll get that. I heard you on Radio and I heard you on Lyric FM, but like Spotify seems to be this kind of thing on in the background of certain places and especially these playlists. They're just, they're like, um, it's like a running advert a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think I think maybe when people are listening to these playlists, it's just there in the background. They, they see it as being one kind of component, you know. I don't they like go in and go, God, who's that artist? Let me search them. Because I know I know as well, like when people even who have massive um, Spotify numbers, if you go on their Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, it doesn't translate to that. So these are not obviously going on going oh, I like their Facebook and and keep up with them there so if they're not doing that I, I'd be very surprised if they were subscribing to their mailing list or even more surprised if they were buying their stuff now look at that that's maybe I, I might be wrong there but um I think you're right in that sense because the numbers from Spotify can be all over the place and as you said someone can have a low social media account and everything so and the thing I think about Spotify is the fact it's free for the majority of people use it free, the free service. Um, and they're obviously making money from advertising and everything. But, you know, the thing is, if you're if people are getting things for free, they take it for granted and they can like it or not like it and they move on. And, you know, like I'm kind of shocked now when I hear, you know, like uh, 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 two years ago, people were saying, oh, if you don't catch people in the first 30 seconds with your song, you know, the song won't go anywhere. But now I'm hearing this year, because of TikTok, if you don't catch them in the first 15 seconds, and you're thinking, come on, is it going to be five seconds next year? Yeah, attention spans are getting dwindling, ever dwindling. It's crazy, no? Yeah, oh yeah, no, it's, it is, yeah. Like, it's a, it's a funny one. Like, I mean, I I debate all of these things. Like, uh, I, I deleted my instagram and facebook apps there a couple of weeks ago because you know i just didn't find myself going to it too much and you're you're watching what other people are supposedly doing it's you know and um it definitely i feel like it takes away from the whole creative thing and, and i i have to question myself and go why did i get into this in the first place i got into it so i can write songs that's that's it yes yes and i, I kind of feel like if i can't write good songs and there's no point me being on there posting stuff see there is this pressure to be posting every day you know and like it's really hard to be to wear all them hats all the time you know it's very very hard to be a promoter all the time and the reality of it is for artists now if you if you want to be a full-time solo artist then you have to be an absolute hustler as well which which kind of is a you know never the twain shall meet no no. you know in a lot in a lot of cases i've become that to a degree but it still doesn't suit me fully like i you take a lot of it personal it's it's hard on the system so i've kind of said i need to withdraw from that and I'm doing some different work at the minute. I'm doing like some special needs work where I'm out every day working with kids and I've deleted them out because I kind of feel like, you know, that's where the songs are, you know, that that's where life's happening and you need that time and you need that interaction in the real world to kind of get a sense of things again. Um, but yeah, it is. It's a, the whole thing is a minefield. Yeah. Like you could chat, you could discuss it all day and, and go into it with a, a microscope. Of course, yeah, and and but it's it's crazy how 
when we talk about mental health issues and everything nowadays, I mean, social media is contributing hugely to it because even for, you know, artists, what happens is they're kind of, as you mentioned earlier about the dopamine and getting the hit, we're relying on this kind of, um, you know, um, what support that's not there. And we're relying on the, the, the criticism or whether it be healthy or negative. And the problem is that you could be feeling up one hour and down the next hour. Whereas yeah. if you weren't tuned into that social media thing, you could just live a more normal life, write your songs and put them out there. But now we need to be connected to the machine constantly because if you don't, what happens is your manager or people who are promoting you say, oh, no, well, you need to be posting now three times a day and you need to keep up with the current trends and you should be on TikTok. And people are going, but I can't fucking dance. And they go, oh, well, you don't have to dance, but you need to be on it, you know. So it's really difficult. Yeah, and like we all want the instant gratification thing as well, you know, uh, like put up a song and get the lights come in and all of that or whatever. But like you know, the whole delayed gratification is probably a healthier thing where you, yeah. you do the hard work, you know, you go out there, you get experiences, you write songs, you record them properly. Like, well, I suppose I have that fear as well. Like, well, if I do that and I disappear for two years, you know, and I write, and if I disappear now for two years, but I write songs and record them well, my big fear is like, well, even if these songs are really good and the album's good, I come back um, is my is my social media or my Facebook and Instagram Twitter is it a barren wasteland where people have people have dropped off. But like it's all it's all debatable because on the other hand, if I keep posting new stuff and trying to come up with release a single every two or three months, then I know for a fact like the quality is going to it's going to nose going to nose dive like so. That's where I'm at at the minute, Simon. It's debating like, well, what would I rather have? You know, um. You know, I'd ra- I'd rather take two or three years off now for the sake of one really good, one really good song. You know, because that's what it's all. About. Yeah, yeah, that's and, what it's all about today. And also, also the thing is, like, I find this myself. You you have you know you're posting and you're putting stuff up in social media, but that's also eating into your time to write songs or to make music and. It's very hard to do everything. And and as you said, sometimes artists and musicians are not business people. But nowadays you kind of have to be because, you know, you like the thing is you have to keep posting stuff. You have to keep promoting yourself. And then you're thinking, geez, I'd rather be just writing music in the studio or in my room or whatever. And But you're constantly having to be checking stuff and posting stuff. And it's a, it, for me, I like I find it each time. And even with me doing whether it's music or doing the podcast, sometimes I'm like, oh, I hate this social media and do I have to promote this? But then you're thinking, if I don't, I need the hard work that I've done is down the drain. So it's a really vicious circle. Oh, it is, yeah. Like, and you have, no matter what, you if you put something out and you're the one driving it, then you have to drive it. Like, that is a fact. Like, the river flows even when I put that out. Like, I... I did my few weeks of that pushing it and I went to radio did very well at radio you know Mm, I I was digging in every day so like people don't realize you're you're responding to DJs or you're posting on Twitter this that the other but after about two weeks this time I went into that job doing the SNA work so that was a big change for me so I didn't have time or the headspace to go keep promoting the song and I did notice after two weeks as soon as I stopped pushing it it kind of fell off the shelf you know right another right, thing right. for me because I, I 
I thought like the song did pretty well, you know. But again, I guess look, it's hard for me to analyze it all now because I'm not going out doing gigs and then pushing them more, I guess. But it did get me wondering more and more. Going, is this what it requires now that you have to keep digging in and sharing it on Twitter and 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 hustling and stuff? And like, it is exhausting. It's exhausting because it's exhausting. It's twenty four seven. Like you wake up in the morning, you're doing it. You're two in the morning, you might be still up or waking up and sharing it or something. You know. So um, yeah, it's a weird assignment, but I th- I think it's good, isn't it? To to dip in and out, like it, I'm glad at the moment that I've retreated from all of that because maybe that's all it requires too is you know take a breather from it for a couple of months, go go back in. But I I don't know how beneficial it is long term to be posting every day either. That's another thing I might, I would debate as well. Like I know personally when I'm on there and I see people constantly cropping up who I actually like in real life, you start to kind of go, oh Jesus, not them again. Yeah. So yeah. I have to wonder, well, are people going, oh, Jesus, there's your man, Conlon. <laughs> but, but like, as again, you know, you can't. <laughs> I mean, there can be overexposure from everybody, but it's a, it's a fine line because you, you're thinking what's enough and what's too much. But, you know, the, the big thing I have as well, though, what I think at the moment is that, you have so many like great artists out there, but at the same time, because of the pandemic, there are so many other people who mightn't be as good. And because Facebook Live is just free, anybody can post things. Like I was laughing there one day. I saw one woman walking around Go Shopping Center uh, recording what shops were open and stuff. And I know she was probably doing it for the good of the people, but I was thinking to myself, Jesus, everything is entertainment now. <laughs> oh right yeah yeah oh god yeah like the thing the issue i have with the facebook live gigs is like i i don't do them i did a few of them but like just as you're scrolling you know um uh, on that like it just it's like walking through temple bar with music coming out every, every window or like yeah you know, you're off in lanzarote or something going down the strip and there's just people are coming at you with shots and just the worst, yeah, worst places yeah. you can imagine, and and Facebook Live is like that. You could be scrolling. There's a guy juggling. <laughs> I've even like when I'm you know picking out guests for the show. I'm trying to get guests that people know and that people want to hear, and there's a genuine interest in, and, and but also people who have a good story to tell, and people who have you know who I can sit with for an hour or so and have a good chat and talk about music and art and you know acting and everything but it's funny because since since i started doing the podcast you know i get a i got a message last week from a guy and he said i'm such and such a guy and um i'm a singer songwriter and i was like oh yeah and he said and i go i go live on facebook at 7 30 every sunday and i was like and i thought is he asking me to bring him on the show without asking me to bring him on the show <laughs> do you know right. what i mean oh god i like yeah do you mind me asking, was he, yeah, was he plugging his show or was he asking? I think he was trying to get me to either ask him to come on the podcast or I don't know, was he trying to get me to plug the show? But I think because he saw I had other singer-songwriters, he thought, okay, well, I can, I can, uh, I can come on the show too. But, you know, it's like everything. The problem is now the, the divide between the, re- the people who are really talented and, and are different and unique and the person who's just kind of 
playing tune from their house is getting narrower. I mean, because oh, yeah. do you well, know like, what I mean? Oh yeah, I guess. Well, look at the guy in his room playing the guitar on Facebook Live has the same production quality now as yeah, Bono. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to do a gig like. <laughs> <laughs> The, the playing field is level now, like but, uh, the playing field much. is level. Yeah, like when you, when you hear Bono on the edge in the bedroom, you're thinking, "No, oh, not as good as Croke Park." Yeah, you're like, Jesus, there's uh, all smoke and mirrors there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's it is. It's funny. It's funny though. But like what you're saying there as well about that, like it's just the trouble with it is it's oversaturation. Uh, completely, as well, like, completely. And, like like. The production value is so low. Like I, I don't know if I've ever been scrolling on Facebook and I saw a lad in his room playing a guitar, and it stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. You know, like yeah. or the hair up on my neck. Like there, there's a reason though. I think for that, it's like for one, I'm looking at that on my phone, where it's coming out through a tiny little speaker. It's the most compressed little audio file. There's nothing in that file to make the hair stand on my neck. There's there's nothing to give me goosebumps like that. That's it. Could be brilliant. It could be brilliant. But the problem is when you say about the production, there are. I've watched some people's videos and they have everything like perfect, and it's the the music and the audio and everything is in sync. But other people don't bother because you know they're just they, they record it. So you're seeing them play, and then ten seconds later you hear the lyric. So there's a huge delay, and you're thinking to yourself. I can't watch this. Like nothing's insane. Yeah, it's a uh, Facebook is a madhouse. It's 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 just become the wild west. Like you know, <laughs> the wild yeah, west. Yeah, it's sure. not it's not really making any sense anymore either. Like I mean, there's so much random stuff up there. I I, I think it's just kind of gone off the grid nearly. It's it's gone into a own little. What's What's really funny about Facebook? I sent. Uh, I think it was my niece or my cousin. I think it was my cousin a few months ago. It was their birthday. And I put down, happy birthday, have a great day. And I put XXX, you know, like for kisses, right? And Facebook banned my post. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, they, they said this post has been removed due to uh, whatever community guidelines. And I was like, what the hell? And then I thought, oh, God, they thought the XXX was something to do with sex. <laughs> and a post that it was, you just sent. A, it was just like a, a it wasn't even a it wasn't even a post it was like happy birthday message and they removed it and i was like really i i said happy birthday have a great day xxx but see their filters or the software probably saw xxx and thought it was adult hardcore stuff oh, gotcha. I, oh I mean my God. so that that's facebook now it's like it's it's gone too too big and they can't control it, I think. Yeah, well, that's it. It's just, it's gone wild. It's gone, it's it's a free-for-all, yeah. And, like, I think it's important to recognize that, too, and also recognize that, like, they're, you know, when you put up a video there and you see eight or 900 views in a couple of hours, that they're not real views at all, you know? They just happen to be on timelines that people didn't even see. Um, it's, a, it's a big misrepresentation, um, and it's not... It, good way to gauge anything and look at not just music i mean people people are putting up photos of happy families and kids and you have other people envious of that and it's none of it is it's just it's 
No, it's not. It's not it's healthy. Not he- it's not healthy. Is the bottom line. I mean, you're talking about mental health there. I mean, there, there's there's been more talk about mental health in the last few years than we ever got for the previous thirty years. But there's you know, it hasn't improved anything. Like it's um, worse things are getting. But it is completely down to the phones and the, the nervous and getting beeps every few seconds and it is cutting us off from the real world so um yeah it's it, it, it it's probably the equivalent of people smoking back in the 40s and 50s they're only getting to grips now with like this is fucking really dangerous like, this, look look what it's doing to us look yeah, what it's doing to us. All like there's gonna have to be a bit of a well, look, there's no stopping it now either, you know. Uh, no, it's on the road. So, come here. Let, let's go back a little. Let's, um, you know, let's talk about your, like, your early life as a child. So, you, like, you're from Loch Grey. It was wonderful. There was no Facebook. <laughs> there was no Facebook, yeah. It was Wait, wonderful. You, did you grow up in Loch Grey? Yeah, I did, Simon. I'm from, from Loch Grey. I'm from the town itself. Yeah, I'm a townie through and through. Your parents are from there as well. Were they from the town or are they outsiders? From- My father was from Loch Grey, yeah. The Conlans, they would be a real Loch Grey family going way back. Um, and probably even on the Athenry Road had some of the first houses built there, which is all a big built-up area now. That would have been my uncle's and granddad's built them first couple of houses. But um, my mum then comes from uh, Mealyk Air Court, which is about... 40 minutes away near Banagher and you go through Berlin and that yeah so she would have came to Loch Ray back in the day um, and she worked in CIE in Galway uh, where my father worked as well so that's where they met my dad was a clerk in um, CIE in Air Square for, for many years okay okay and I, I saw your dad died when you were 13 yes yeah, uh, was I 13? Yes, I was only gone 13. I was, he died in April of 1993. So yeah, I would have been 13 in March of 93. So yeah, he passed away from a heart attack. Wow, sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah it was, uh, needless to say, that's tough, Simon. Yeah, bolt out of the blue, really. Now, his, his couple of his brothers had the same issue and, and passed away before him. So um it ran. It obviously runs in the family, so I, I have to be careful with the the supermax and the, the whole. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully, I think we, we've a little more. You know, obviously, we've moved along a lot more, getting checked up more, and you know, back then as well. You know, he he was fond of the pints and smoking and stuff, and I don't do any of that. Thankfully, not since my twenties. So, um, I hope I got a little bit more of a running chance than him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. And is your mom still alive? Oh yeah, she is. She's good. Um, she's in Loch Grey, um, and I'm going to go visit her today. Now, of course, standing out the back and say hello to her. She lives out there on her own, so I um, I break that five k rule. No bother to to go out, go out, and you know, stand out the back and say hello because that's that's very important. Like, to were you an only child or brothers and sisters? What was? No, I I'm one of four. So let me see where did I come? I've come third in the family. I've my older sister Helena. And then Patrick, and then myself and my younger sister Claudia. So there's four of us. So my dad, like, would have had he would have been nearly twenty years older than my mum. So when he passed away, he was sixty-two. He was still young, but you know, he he wasn't in his thirties or forties. In his forties, you know, so he had he had me when he was fifty-two. You know, 
So that's, wow. yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. And was that, you know, when your dad died, like, was it, I know it's a, always a big moment, but was it a life-changing moment for you? Like, did, did, did you uh, have to grow up very quickly? Yeah, you do. You get you get that kind of, you know, I suppose the rug is pulled out from under you, you know, you're, you're coasting along, your childhood is going grand, and it is, it's just like, it's it's like a force like you're you're pushed a long way too soon you do you get a kind of you get this dose of reality that really you shouldn't get for until you're much <laughs> you're much older you know so there is that time and yeah and you do kind of, i did feel like in my teens and even my 20s and that you do kind of feel like at that point you you were suddenly an adult you know or you had to deal with stuff that like was just too much you know so yeah, it's at that age as well, I guess, you're, you know, you're becoming a man. There's enough stuff going on. Just got into secondary school. So, yeah, oh, God, it did. It had a massive effect on me. Um, I suppose, look, at the positive thing that came out of it was, you know, he bought me my first guitar and I was already kind of obsessed with songs and music. And the one really good thing was I used to retreat to my room to write songs when I was a teenager. Then I suppose that was nice. That was the healthy side of, you know, the outcome of that. But the unhealthy side then, I guess, was, you know, I started drinking when I was oh, 14 or 15. And as soon as I started drinking, that made me feel, you know, made me feel a lot better. So unfortunately, I kind of, that became a bad habit throughout my teens. And then, of course, you're gigging in pubs when you're in my later teens. And bad habits got created out of that. So by the time, like I was 27 or 28, I started to kind of, I was drinking a lot. I would binge drink, you know, like so many Irish people, I guess. I, I, I appeared quite, I appeared quite normal. <laughs> yeah, you were like, like, when it's comparisons, yeah, it's normal. Yeah, yeah, I said to a couple of people, you might, you know, divulge to a couple of people, oh God, this is not good. I was, you know, I can't remember anything from the weekend, you know. Somebody go, what's wrong with you, man? You're just going to crack. <laughs> so the, there was no like going, oh, you poor thing. Like, yeah, maybe knock it on the head. It's like, ah, sure, everybody, you know, I piss my pants. Everybody does that. Yeah. <laughs> but but, that, but that, that's the thing, isn't it? Because people, uh, you know, nowadays, if, if you said, I think I have a problem or I think I need to deal with this issue, someone would say, oh, yeah, well, listen, I know somebody maybe can help you or I'll help you. But in that time, everybody had similar issues. So if you, oh, if, they, yeah, if, <laughs> if they said to you, if they said to you, yeah, you must have a problem, then they're thinking, hold on, that means I have a problem, too. I don't want to have yes, a problem. There was a, lot, there was a lot of that. Like, so when I was, I think it was a week before my 27th birthday, I haven't kept track. But I went on a terrible bender for a weekend and blacked out and everything. And I woke up the Monday morning and I was so rattled. But I, I stopped it then. I remember just saying, I am done with drinking. I, I got this real kind of grudge against it. I said, this stuff has abused me enough. You know, that was my take on it. So I I remember even had a few cans in the house and I poured them down the sink. And I, I, I haven't drank since, you know, I'm 41 now since March. So that's that's like 14 or 15 years. So it's the best thing I've ever done. But I remember when I gave it up, all right, people were bewildered, like, you know, and going, all right, he'll be back on it. Like, so, and, and like for years, people I knew would say, are you back on the drink yet? And I, if you go, no, the kind of, some of them wouldn't want to know you, you know, but also you were right about that. One of the things back then was like as well, 
anyone who ever questioned me about it and they'd question you pretty hard, like, why did you give it up? Did you, you know, they were always questioning themselves. It was never, it was never me, Simon, you know, but to get, actually to give it up 15 years ago at that age, like was fairly, you know, it was a pretty wild thing to do. Like, cause yeah, yeah, you were, you were, yeah, I was, you know, I was ahead of the curve, but like, you're right. I think if people knocked it on the head now, they would get more support or be told they're more aware that, yeah, this isn't good. Or you can go to the gym now and get another bad addiction or <laughs> which the gym can be a bad one as well, I guess. Um, but like, yeah, it definitely feels like if you give it up now, there'll be less questions asked. But I remember for years, all right people questioning me and like I was never embarrassed about it I'd always just say look at I had the problem with it and if people had a problem with me saying that you still get the very odd person when I say I gave it up they kind of go oh you know what's yeah. wrong with him yeah I I, I remember myself you know um you I do this thing every year where I'd say okay for two or three months I'm not gonna you know, drink or anything. And of course, you know, you're doing going doing gigs in a pub or whatever and, you know, you're drinking Coke or orange or whatever and and then people are like, You you're not drinking, you know. And and it's, if you're going out with them drinking, it's like you're bringing them down. Oh, you're not having a drink. Ah, oh, you'll have a drink. Come on, you're better crack without drink or with drink. And you'd be like thinking, Does that mean I'm a boring asshole without drink? And they're like, No, no, I don't mean it like that. But come on, let's have a drink. And and there's so much pressure and it's hard to get away from that because it's not it's not that the pint is at the bar calling you saying, You better drink me now, Ulton, or you're in trouble. It's the friends are saying, just have one sure. Just have one. Yeah, and it's funny, like it's so look I'm so removed from that now and I'm off that fourteen or fifteen years. Like alcohol does not exist in my world at all, you know. My partner doesn't drink really, not for any reason, only she doesn't. So like I, I all I I've nearly turned into this weird prude about it, like so if I'm out and I see somebody in my company's really drunk or they all are, I'm actually kind of shocked. I get that kind of thing going like, oh, why are they doing this to themselves? Like, and you kind of do realize like this thing of good crack. You're like, no, you're on repeat. Like you're, you know, so the drinking culture, if it still exists, it's a kind of sad one. I, to be quite honest, I have to say. And like, I do remember being, in my late twenties and early thirties and going out with friends and having a seven up, like, and you're, you're actually embarrassed fucking drinking a seven yeah, up. Like, yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah There's such shame because yeah. you're drinking something that's, that's not healthy, but healthier than the other thing. Do you know what and I mean? I remember like two, you know, probably 10 years ago when, you know, you're erding or non-alcoholic and they started, I was so relieved because I could stand in a pub look like a pint and not be fucking quizzed about what's wrong with, what's wrong with me you know by by somebody who's having a fucking breakdown yeah yeah and i mean that that's what that you had someone trying to get stable in their life being judged by people who are really unstable yeah <laughs> isn't that, that's society all over like so that that happens that happens everywhere in society i mean the the ones, the ones running things are, are not well, you know, society is designed for them. Um, it's not designed for anyone who's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that I am. But. In control of it. So when you were like, when you were a teenager, then obviously, you know, you were playing the guitar, you said, 
around your you know your early teens but what other kind of stuff were you into did you was it always music or did you have other things you were into sport or other hobbies yeah funny like when once I started playing music though at like 15 and I started writing songs and I started drinking that was like you know that all became my world life unfortunately because now as I'm a little bit older it's funny like I played football soccer you know I was under 10 and under 12 and that and I was a, I was a really good when you know um when we'd be practicing when we'd be doing our exercise I'd be like scoring goals left right and center and then the match day come and the manager put me on and I balk, you know, um, psychologically. So, like, I, I, you know, you were like, I don't know why, I don't I could, know why. I couldn't handle the, the pressure, but, like, it's funny, since I started doing the SNA work um, in a special needs school, I, I, we go out playing football at break with the kids and lunch, and I found this, like, oh, why did I stop playing this, you know, when I was, yeah so now yeah, i'm 40 yeah. and i'm kind of going oh god i missed a lot of these things that i loved as a kid like i i supported liverpool and but like that totally went out the window like i wouldn't know anything now if somebody mentioned soccer to me or teams i mean the last guy i knew who played for liverpool was ian rush you know? yes yes <laughs> so, like, and um another thing i was big into simon was tennis like i was obsessed Best and I actually, you know, I won the Connacht Clothes when I was under ten, which was yeah, the Connacht in Treadneedle Road, you know, um the poor boy from Loch Ray with a shit racket went in and bet the guys from Salt Hill. Um that didn't go down too well with them, but it was a, a nice win for um <laughs> nice win. Wow. That's yeah. And do you do you play any tennis now at all nope. or so that's another thing. Like my brother as well. Brother is a great tennis player, and uh, fair play to him. He kept it up, and he still plays. And he asked me for a game every now and then for whatever reason. I just kind of go, no. But you know, now that my football career has been rekindled, uh, yeah, you never. It's know. funny though. I I go out playing football for ten and fifteen minutes at a time, and I'm aching after. I'm like, oh man, you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, especially once you get over 40 and you're like thinking, yeah, I can do this. And then you're in the hospital <laughs> retail with full muscles and <laughs> hernias yeah, and everything. Yeah. Well, it is funny, though. I, I kind of, as much as I'm glad I, I play music and wrote songs, you know, I I realize how healthy it is to go out and play football with your body. You know, again, it's just like, or to go play a game of tennis. Like, um, I do love walking. Like, I walk. Yesterday I was off because I'm, I'm on holidays right now and I walk 10k. I love that. But again, that's the solitude thing. Like, you kind of I go out on my own and I walk and I'm thinking and I might get good ideas when I'm walking. But, like, it's not the same as playing, playing five-a-side football. No, no, for sure. For an hour. Sure. And, you know, um, maybe it's stuff like that. I'm kind of glad I'm reconnecting with certain stuff like that, you know. And to go back to the Instagram and Facebook apps, like, to delete them for a while and go play football and and do a few things like that you realize this whole mental health thing you know it's there's a quick enough fix like <laughs> oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i i mean the 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 mad thing about it is um when when you look at things that are very simple and kind of look very easy and relaxing or hard working you know you see things and you go wow i'd love to do that because nowadays, like, for example, I'd be watching these shows and there'd be like, whatever, these guys in Alaska mining for gold or these people, you know, living out in the wild. 
and you're thinking, Jesus, that life looks so simple. I think I'd like to do oh, that yeah, yeah. because now, now what's happening is you're we're living in this more sedentary lifestyle where we're sitting down a lot. We're using, you know, computer screens. So we're using our brains more. Well, maybe. But when you think back to how people used to always be and work hard, be tired, go to bed, you know, feel like you did something with your body that day. Nowadays, when we look at that and we're thinking, Jesus, wouldn't that be so much simpler just to be out chopping down trees and stuff? Yeah, like there's a lot to be said for it. You're, you're right. And again, with the SNA work I'm doing, like I go in there early in the morning and it's hands on. It's You're on your feet all day. You're, you're doing a different um, activities, a lot of it manual stuff, you know. Um, but like, yeah. And then you, you leave at three o'clock and you don't bring it with you. You know, so you then you go home and you cook some food, you go for a walk, you watch some TV and you, you go to sleep because you're tired. Like, but and, and like that's that is healthier than, you know, what you do or what I do a lot of the time where we, we end up posting something at 1 a.m. on Instagram or you plug your podcast for the next day or that's and, and like that. Yeah, you're on your own doing it and you're. Yeah, sure, somebody's liking it, but that's not the same as a real interaction. And I, I do get you, like, when I was just doing my music full-time and it was just me all the time in the house or going to a gig and you might see somebody for a couple of days, I would, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I get in the car to go to the shop and they're out chopping down hedges or doing some roadworks, and I envy the guys doing the nine-to-five. You know, I, I've people have said to me over the years, "Oh, you're lucky you get to do what you love," and I'd be like, I, "I'm not great for hiding or pretending," you know, because so I just go, "It's not all it's cracked up to be." Like you have to be honest about it. And, and then I meet people who have nine to five jobs or state jobs where the like the teachers have holidays and they get paid all year, and I'm like, "Guys, you've no idea how lucky you are. You don't have to worry about the next check or if you get a flat tire." That's not an issue how you get it fixed. You know, like when you're self-employed and it's all on your own shoulders and there's no, you've got to, you've got to push yourself to do stuff. Like I find, Simon, I get anxious, way more anxious than when I'm working nine to five, like, because I have my list of stuff to do and some stuff I'm putting on the long finger, the long finger, and then anxiety kicks in about not getting this stuff done, you know? But if you go into a job from nine to four or something, nine to five, and there's somebody telling you you got to do X, Y, Z, you'll do it. No questions asked. And, and there's no anxiety then, you know. So when we talk about anxiety, more anxiety nowadays too, I think it's got a lot to do with stuff like that where we're just not, you know, we're not doing just more simpler tasks, getting them done. And, and having a more simple life, you know? Yeah, yeah. T- tell us about the special needs job. Was that something that you trained in or how, how did you get into yeah, it? Yeah, I, like, I teach classical guitar to kids. So I teach this Suzuki method guitar. So, you know, that's I'm that's my own gig. Like, So if I get a tour anywhere, I can easily call all the parents and say, look, I'm not teaching the next two weeks. So it's really great. I love it. I've been doing it the last five years. And like... They start at five or six with this method, and I've had some of the same kids for five or six years. The parents come in with them. It's a kind of um, Suzuki triangle, you call it. So I'm teaching the kid, but the parent is, I'm teaching the parent how to help the kid at home with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really lovely. So I was doing that for five years, and I found I really liked it. And what I really liked about it was the interaction with the kids. They're great fun. I'm probably a bit of a kid at heart, really, myself in a lot of ways. So look at when the lockdown was rolling on and on, I saw the course online for it and I said, I'll do this SNA course without really 
just to do something really different than music. And then um, the local schools, see, I'd know the schools from teaching the guitar. So I started subbing, you know. So if one of the SNAs were sick, I'd get a call to go in. And I just started going in because, um, you know, your gigs are gone and stuff. And then um, in Galway in a school, uh, a position came up for four months in February uh, till the end of May. So I said, oh, look, I'll take it because there's nothing happening. And um, and I, so that's why that's where I'm at, Simon. So I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know what I take a permanent job and I, I, I really enjoy it and everything. But I, whatever I do, I'll have to make it work with my own music because, you know, I've come this far with that and invested so much. But um, it's a lovely job. Like, it's, it's very rewarding as well, you know. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and now I think artists and musicians and everybody are kind of discovering, you know, just to survive and to stay alive and feed yourself and your family and your kids or whatever, you have to do other things or go back to doing what you did before. And there's no shame in that. I mean, you know, for some people, they'll be like, oh, well, no, you know, I'm, I'm kind of semi-successful now. I can't go back doing that. But that's not true because, you know, it's not about what other people think of you. Like, it's like my sister... Um, is an actress but like she says you know there's times you have to go to the dole office and sign on and in those times um, what happens is that someone sees you and they say oh I saw you in that program or something why are you here but they don't realize that was filmed a year before do you know what I mean so the like the re there's always this glamorous side to the arts where people think people are making lots of money because they see them on the telly or on Facebook a lot. and But it's not true. I mean, it's a big lie, isn't it? Well, now more than ever, like, okay, 20 years ago, if you were on TV, then that means, yeah, you probably have a career. And there's only a few people on TV. But, I mean, if you're on Facebook, as we said earlier, that means nothing. Everybody's, everybody's on it. So look at... It, if, if everybody puts their hand up, it's much, much harder now to make a living as an artist. Um, and, and unfortunately, musicians and actors are meant to keep up this lie on social media that everything is rosy. You know, that's not. And like the fact that COVID has kicked in now. Um, but like, again, I think it's good for an artist to get up and go to work and do something different and get an experience. I know personally, if I don't do this right now, like, what am I going to be writing about? It's just me on my own most of the time, in, in my own head. You know, like, it's gonna, it's not going to be good material or it's going to be very, you know, inward, you know. The, the, next, the next album will be like, the first song will be sitting at the desk and the second song will be lying on my bed. And <laughs> Yeah, I feel shit again. Poor me, poor me. Poor me, poor me, yeah. And this is the thing because for lots of musicians and artists, when they go out and they experience the world and they do tours and they, you know, they write about that kind of part of their life as well, being on the road and so on. So, I mean, if you're always in your bedroom and you're always doing, you know, technological stuff over Zoom and every kind of stuff, you, it's kind of limiting your brain power too, isn't it? And so, like, your ideas. Yeah, it's definitely that's it. You're 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 not getting the right kind of stimulus, you know. But if you're in there, you know, working with kids who need the help. Another good thing about it, Simon, is like it's you. You're if I'm working full time as Alton Conlon for my art and as my solo artist name, Alton Conlon, then everything is me, 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 Alton Conlon, and that is exhausting for anyone. It's 
uh, it's exhausting for everyone, but exhausting for for me. So like, I think to go in anywhere and like not be looking inwards or worried about yourself for at least six hours of the day and and looking after some kids that badly need it, like in a selfish way, that's a good thing for me as well. Like I'm that's I'm doing that for my own good as well, you know. Giving something great, you're making a difference in someone's life, but like it comes right back at you. Like so, I I think to be a songwriter, and that's what I want to be. That's where it it all lies. Like, I don't want to be a PR person. I don't want to be um an internet sensation kind of or whatever the fuck it is. But um, and the other thing, just to go back, like about you know, there's an old fashioned thing really with people about success as well in in the arts or music. Like I know if I'm in Loch Ray and I go for a walk and I meet somebody I haven't seen in a while, they they do this thing like, oh, you're still playing the music, you're doing very well. I see on Facebook or I heard you on Galway Bay FM or you know being interested in that, and they kind of go, they measure success as being like, you're either massive or it's not working, you know. So they either go like they'll say, oh, you know what, keep it up, you'll get that one hit now, and you'd be like Ed Sheeran or something. You're like, oh fuck, what? Like this is not what I'm. But like I all, I always kind of think it's the comparison of going into your local little coffee shop that does really nice little coffees and nice sandwiches and and like it can be really good because it's you know it's just all done there freshly in front of you and then like the customer says to the owner you know oh don't worry like if you keep this up you'll be Starbucks you know yeah yeah and he's like I don't want to be Starbucks yeah like but you know the the guy in the coffee shop who does the nice little sandwiches and coffees gets really like oh that place is amazing really that's the reaction but i i I, maybe it's self insecure but i feel like you know people kind of go oh he's you know uh, he's not a cheer and like so in that case you you haven't met it you know yeah well you know i like i'm kind of similar as well like for me people say would you like to be famous with music and i'm like no fame doesn't interest me i don't want to be um I, I mean, nowadays, obviously, with, you know, doing any kind of media work or music, sometimes you have to put yourself out there to, and be seen in order to, it's a vehicle for your music or whatever. And the truth is, though, I mean, for me, if I could have, like, you know, if I could be successful at what I'm doing without putting my face out there, I wouldn't put my face out there. And I wouldn't say... Uh, I mean, that's the thing. That's the hard part for artists. Um, you see that artist, Sia. I mean, she covers her face. And there's a reason because she's insecure about it. And a lot of artists feel like this. And they feel like, I'd like to I'd like to do a video, but I don't want to be in the video. And the guy goes, well, you're the artist. You have to be in the video. And they're like, no, no, could we get a stand-in or something? And I kind of feel a bit like that too. I don't really want to put my face, even though it's me, I don't want to be like, hey, look at me. I just like listen to the music or listen to my voice or whatever. But I don't want you focusing it on me because I, I, I don't, I feel like whatever it is, it's coming from inside of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's more pressure then as well. I know that like there's definitely more pressure when it's all riding on you as well. So you, you, you know, you feel the burn more if it doesn't work as well. You know, I mean, the moment I'm producing a song for, um, for an artist so I'm just you know I'm going into the studio with I'm arranging the musicians and helping arrange the song and getting the mix and all that I haven't really done this before but one of the main reasons I'm doing this is because I love all that for starters I've done that many times but then the aftermath of that is I have to put that song out and 
whatever comes back, it's like, oh, God. Like, if, if you get a play, you're like, yay, I got a play on Radio 1. But 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, now I need one on Today FM or now I need Late Late Show. So it's this never-ending thing. But, like, the reason I'm looking forward to doing this, it's because I'm going to do the best job I can with it, and I hope it does well. But, you know, it's not going to be all... It's not going to be all on my shoulders, so no, no. And, and when you when you have done when you finished your work as well, like the great thing about any kind of production, when you do the work in the studio, you can sit back then and see how the artist is doing with it. But you don't have to keep promoting it, and like I mean, you can of course, but you've done you've done your job exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that for me is very appealing at the minute because I kind of feel like even though I've done well in the last year, you know. People don't see all the kind of rejection you get as well. So, like, I need a break. You need a break from that. You can't. I don't know what you want to be made of. Like, because as you said, for every time there's a yes, there's 10 no's. And, you know, the problem is you just have to keep going. But it is taxing on your brain and everything. And it's hard. And you're kind of, it's like, it's not that it's like not a level of acceptance. But, you know, you're trying to further your career or further whatever you're doing. And sometimes you need help from other people. And unfortunately, not everyone wants to help you. So you will get lots of rejections. And it's hard to bear sometimes. Oh, God, yeah, of course it is. I mean, nobody is, um, very few are, are good at taking that and, and kind of brushing it off. Especially when you're writing the songs and you're, you're, you're designed that kind of way. You know, I mean, most kind of artists, you know, they're, they're going to be a bit sensitive for the want of a better, you know. You're, you're, it's not a product, really. It's, it is a product, I guess, in a lot of ways, but it's also, um, it's your own output. Like, so yeah, you're going to take, you're going to take a personal. But funny, going back to the thing I was saying about the, you know, the local cafe or dead cheer and thing, I guess the, the, the other side of it is, though, like, as a small artist, you do want to make a living from it. You do want to make it work, you know, and that's where it's tricky. Saying, you know, the Spotify thing and everything, like, it's, you know, 20 years ago, you could sell enough albums to cover the cost of the recording and to make some income. So that is where it's getting a little trickier. And I think, but I think going into some, like, be it, like teaching is a great thing for any musician to do. I know so many musicians go, oh, I couldn't, I wouldn't have the patience. You're like, no, you haven't given it a go. Like, you have to do it, you know. And it, it, you, you get patient. I'm not the most patient guy. It's funny. People say to me now when I'm doing the SNA work and teaching, oh, she'll be great at that. You're very relaxed and you're, you know, you, you don't get, um, you're very patient. I'm like, I am not. I've actually got a temper and I'm confused, you know, I'm irritable. But like, you know, we, you, you have to be put on the spot to, to like, go into a job as well like you have to show up you have to put on your brave face you have to put on your nice face it makes you be the things you should be do you know what i mean like and it's teaching like you have to be patient you can't in front of a six-year-old kid you can't smash a guitar and start screaming (laughs) (laughs) i've had enough of this shit But, no, I mean, like, that, that was, that's the same. You know, I, I've been a guitar teacher for years. And for me, g- teaching like that is its own reward because it's great when you see kids or adults or anybody and they finally get it and they can understand what's, what you're trying to show them. And, you know, they play something and you're kind of like, wow, this is brilliant. So besides the financial reward from working at it, whatever, 
the, it's a great thing, you know, when you see a child who's been with you for a few years and they're suddenly doing a concert or doing their own, write their own first song. And I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's fun. Like guitar teaching is a funny one because like like that, there's the odd time after, it could be after three or four years, I sit back and I see the kids playing this classical piece and I just go, oh my God, they can play the guitar. But you, you don't see that every week over the years. It's like you, you plant a little tree in the garden and all of a sudden you go, Jesus, that tree has grown. You know, you don't see it growing every week. So you do need the patience with it. But like there are the odd little moments when I'm teaching where you sit back and you go, Jesus, that kid can play guitar. And all, not all thanks to me, but mainly thanks to me showing them how to do it, you know. But that goes, that goes back to the delayed gratification thing, you know, putting in the work, putting in the work, and then all of a sudden, oh, wow, like, and it's the same, I think, you know, it's probably the same with the original music career too, Simon, though, you, you don't see it week to week, like, I know um, I did an interview with somebody a while back there, and um, they kind of went through all my career, the different people I played with, the albums where I did it, and I kind of went, Jesus, after the hour of an interview, I kind of went, wow, I I've done, that's kind of impressive you know but you don't see you don't see that every no I, I i mean it is like even there you know i when i was doing your intro i mean you you've played and sang with some amazing people so i mean that's a great achievement and as you said there i think when you look back on that whether it's now or in 10 years that will be a delayed gratification and you will get a better feeling from that than the the one minute things on Facebook and so on. Well, exactly, know? yeah. I suppose there's the whole art of patience then as well, you know, and perspective. But again, it's so hard to see when you're you're working on your own and in in your own head, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, as humans or maybe just me, um, tend to focus on the negative, you know. Um, too much, but um, you know what? Can't be too hard on yourself for that either. No, so so listen. Um, tell us, like, when you started playing guitar and everything, were you, what kind of music did you listen to? Were you more folk or rock or pop or what kind of influenced you when you were young? I, I think I just I remember when I was very young, like a kid, hearing stuff. You know, we didn't have, we weren't one of them houses that had the record player or anything. We had a tape player, right? My older brother and sister. I remember, like they got into Michael Jackson. So the tape of Thriller was in the house and sure that was just amazing. I remember, you know, the TV growing up beatbox on network two and RT two. So that was amazing. I, I must've been nine or 10. So every week you'd wait to see these videos, REM and lots of great um, Irish bands as well. Like in my teens, Revelino, the Dublin band and uh, no disco. So you, Kind of again, like you know, you you'd be tuning in to hear these songs that you couldn't play back all the time, which was kind of cool as well, you know, because um, you know, when you only hear hear it once a week, and you're hoping it might come on the show the next week, there's something lovely about that as well. It's kind of like it's like a premiere that you can't control, so you have to listen to it. That yeah, moment. you have to be, or else be quick enough to get the tape and try. To- or something you know um and then it'll be really bad quality listening back and you'll be a bit disappointed by it but like no i, I grew up like that you know I, I loved the music videos on tv i love songs i love good songs i didn't really care you know about the genre like i mean peter gabriel sledgehammer remember that video and the song i love michael jackson 
Um, then in my teens, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, I was a bit of a into a bit of grunge music like that, and that that kind of segued into Neil Young and Leonard Cohen in my late teens, and I started to mellow out pretty quick. David Gray, you know, the White Ladder album that was everywhere. Saw Doctors, Your Neighbours. I saw them in the Temperance Hall when I was about, Jesus, 11 years of age. I mean, that was incredible. Um, the Stunning as well. My sister was big into them. Loved The Stunning. Um, I remember when I was 12 or 13, I don't know how my mother let me go to Fela down in, in Tip. Um, and I saw... I saw some amazing bands. I went for one day, like Brantley Buffalo and Amy Mann. I think Elvis Costello was on. Um, it was just, that blew my mind. That was like a, an amazing experience to go to that. So from there, like, I was playing guitar anyway, and none in the local convent was teaching me chords. Um, and then a neighbor, this guy moved in, he was into Dire Straits, and I heard him playing Sultans of Swing and stuff. So he started giving me guitar lessons. And from there, it was just this kind of, it became a thing. Like I was always in the bedroom playing the guitar, learning chords, listening to CDs, trying to figure out songs, started writing songs at the same time. So they both kind of, it just, it just went from there, you know, it never, it never really left me, you know? Yeah. And when, like what, when you started songwriting, how old were you, you think when you kind of like really started songwriting in your opinion? Yeah. Well, I was writing little bits and bobs from 15, 16 years of age. And I'd say it was about 18 kind of or 19 when I'd record them onto a little tape player. And I think there was one song when I was maybe 17 or 18 that I listened back to and said, Oh, that's a, that's actually a song. You know, I accepted that, that that's the song. But I, I, up until my mid-twenties, I was very in doubt about what I was doing because I was going, I was kind of going, there must be more to this, you know? These Like, I didn't, I wouldn't have said, oh, I'm a songwriter. I think I was well into my twenties, 25, 26, before I even said, oh, even though I was working as a musician, I would have said I'm a songwriter. I felt like a bit of an imposter, you know? Um. So there was that thing, yeah, I just, I thought there must be more to it than this, you know, which there isn't really. I mean, now I can safely say anyone can write a song and it's a, it's a craft really. So I started writing and I kept writing and to this day, like I, I, I kind of feel like I'm getting better at it. I know that might be a bit of an arrogant thing to say, but like, I think structurally you get better at it and you when I listen back to some of my earlier stuff, like there's bits you definitely go, oh, I, that was unnecessary there. I do that differently. Um, so definitely craft-wise, I think you improve. But whether whether you can keep a, a good sense of like, you know, um, what you call it, wonder and kind of... You know. Yeah, melody and so on. But, but you know, it's, it's true as well because I think what happens, like all these different things that influence you, you know, you might write a song and then you might say, oh, you know, that the song I would have written, if I'd written this song two or three years before or five years before, it might be darker. Now it might be more joyous. So the thing is, like, you go through these periods in your life as well where you, you know, you, you feel like you want the music to be very edgy. And then later on, as you get a bit older, you're like, no, I want it to be happier. So, I mean, your your songwriting style can change a lot too, can't it? Yeah, I can. Like, and, you know, there's a lot of self-doubt there and questions. of what you said there about edgy, like, I mean, even I was chatting to a friend about this yesterday. Like, you know, if you're, if you're lost in that bubble 
online looking at reviews and the Irish Times and other voices shows and all of this. Everything is very edgy, you know, and I start to question my stuff going, oh, well, you know, I never get on these things and maybe I'm not edgy enough. And, and, and then I kind of go try be a little in my own little way, be a bit edgy for a while. And I'm like, oh, fuck that. Um, <laughs> like, do, do you know, um, I think you have to be true to yourself as well, you know, and even like just the best songs are simple songs at the end of the day, you know, I think the best songs I've written have been simple and have a nice melody and a simple turn of phrase. And they're the hardest ones to write, you know. The, the thing is, I think as well, what happens is those edgy songs and those kind of, you know, you, you see someone and you go, well, oh, they're really cool or whatever, or the critics really like them. Like the critics can just choose anybody one day and say, yeah, that's very edgy. So, I mean, they're kind of like the church in a way because the music critics and these TV music critics and all say, oh, this is an outstanding album or they're an outstanding artist. But again, it's just another matter of opinion, and they just give it to millions of people who then are influenced by their decisions. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's again, talking about Facebook and Instagram, it's not a real reflection on things, you know? Like, unfortunately, I, I, on Facebook and Instagram, I'd have a really good follow on when I did all that song a day, you know? You get these people, and um, I got lovely letters and presents to my house in the Hasper because they all knew this is where I was doing it from. I get lovely emails, you know. I got one message from a girl sent me an email that her her mom was a doctor, and she sent a message on Instagram for her mom saying, you know, she uh, during the pandemic it's been very difficult, and she loves my music, and she sent on behalf of the mom, and it's really helped her through it. So I got so many of these things, and while I really do appreciate them, I have to keep reminding myself this is this this is the reaction I need from people, or not need that I want for my music. But unfortunately, you know, you're on Twitter and stuff, but you're still, you're vying for the, um, you know, the, um, what you call it, that critical praise as well. You're like, oh, maybe I should be more, and this person over here might like me and promote me and stuff. And then I do have to kind of remind myself, I'm going, no, like you want to reach people who like music, you know, the people who can't um, post on Twitter or don't have Twitter account. They're the people you want to get, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> genuinely hear a song and find something in it. Like I've gotten so many lovely, and they're they're the best reviews. But yeah, I, I need to keep reminding myself that they're that's my audience, and I have to focus on them and not on this whole kind of what's trend, what's happening online, and and yeah, that that's well, again well, is well, another mind. I, I always feel that way about styles and genres. You know, like because you know we have folk, we have rock, we've pop, and the thing is. Sometimes as an artist, you know, you're pushed into one, but you might want to be a bit of a few of them. And it's a hard thing to do because the thing is, if you're a producer, you can produce a pop song, you can produce a rock song, you can produce a dance song, whatever. But as an artist, if you step outside your so-called genre, if people are like, what, what are they doing or why are they doing that? And sometimes we have to be allowed more freedom. I, I mean, you know, if a folk artist wants to make a dance track or a dance artist wants to make a folk track, there should be no problem because it's all music. But the way the charts and the categories and all of this, the labels, it kind of stifles people a bit sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, labels are something that's put on, that are put on everyone, really, and uh... That's it, you know. There's different clicks and different styles, I suppose. Um, I, 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 
guest. I, I, I don't know what if you know when you're uploading your stuff to to maybe your Spotify to give you all these about a drop down box. What's Friday? And I, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not folk. I'm not bluegrass. You know, I'm not rock. I'm not and any of them. So it's a weird one. Like yeah, where to fit in? Too many choices. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I, I can never find my category in them boxes. Like, and it's funny when people ask you what kind of music you play without hearing you, it's very hard to say what you are. Like, yeah, you- it's, very, it's, it's, very tr- it's very tricky. Listen, um, would you would, would you be interested in playing a song? Well, I wonder, will I run down and get a guitar now and tune it? Yeah, if you want. You can do it now if you want. Yeah. What are you going to play for us, uh, Olsen? Um, I'll do a little bit of this song, Simon. It's called The Lumberjack, You and Me. And this was on my second album um, called Songs of Love So Cruel. I was actually listening to this song yesterday. <laughs> well, here you go. In the in the flesh. In the flesh. As close to as possible. Yeah. <laughs> station with your brother there so I can't see what I'm thinking a right smile we will meet in September all political lies and in failure we fell flat just like a tree there was the lumberjack you and me But I don't forget or let it fade Just like the Sunday On that day Gonna follow that big sign Sink below the sea Let the night time in Put the soul up to sleep For all the time So many more I let you go Really nice, well done, lovely it's a, nice, it's a nice song that Thanks Simon Yeah, it's a simple Saying about earlier, it's a simple little song I guess um, And one I haven't played in a while actually I don't know why, what prompted me to to play that now when when you like obviously you know um you were having great success the last few weeks with the with the river flows with gabby moreno as well and i mean it was song of the week i think wasn't it or, or it was number one there on the radio uh playlist so it's doing well yeah on the chart yeah so on rt1 i guess over the few weeks it was out there it kind of got the most plays which is yeah it's a lovely thing for your own song to get that you know, to get that kind of um, radio airplay. You know, when you look back now at your all your albums, you know, Bless Your Heart, 2009 and so on, do you see, like, is there a difference in each album? Are, are you, do you change your style in some ways or the style of songwriting? How how has it evolved for you? Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, from, from the first record, definitely production-wise, like, I like, I like tinkering around in the studio. That's one thing I love. 
I mean, I love writing songs and I love getting the musicians together. I love recording them and, and producing them. That's after that, I find everything a bit more tricky. You know, I find gigging tricky. Uh, I love gigging, but it's a, it's, it can be traumatic. You know, I, I'd still get kind of stage fright to a degree, but at this point, I'm well able to kind of chat to the audience, get into it. I think I've gotten to a certain level of professionalism where it doesn't come across <laughs> or it doesn't, doesn't hinder the gig. But like, um, as far as songwriting goes, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, like my songs now would be very different from the stuff that was on Bless Your Heart, you know. Um, I guess you're growing up and I'm writing more stuff like outwardly, you know, about scenarios and people I meet or situations. Uh, I guess back then they were much more kind of introspective songs, you know. Also, like the stuff I'm writing at the moment for what will hopefully be my next record, you know, they're kind of shorter. Um, I'm getting much better. I feel like getting the message across in three minutes rather than four or five, and two and a half minutes. And they're kind of toe tapper songs. I've been writing the last little while. They're fun. Like the song that was the most successful for me uh, in 2018 was called The Measure. It was on uh, Last Days of the Night Owl, an album that did very well for me. And uh, The Measure like did really well on radio. When I was gigging up and down the country, people were getting up dancing and singing along to it. And I was shocked because I didn't know, you know, that it had resonated with so many people. And um, weirdly enough, the songs I'm writing now, they're a little bit more in that vein. And it's funny, like, I do remember writing the measure in a weird way. Like when we were talking earlier about edgy artists and all these reviews and kind of that whole scene that's there. I nearly wrote the measure at the time as a kind of way of going, oh, fuck all this stuff. I'm going to write something that's fun and a bit cheesy, to be honest. You know, it's got that 50s kind of feel to it. It's, you know, you could... Um, you could go out boogie into it, you know. There's nothing cool about the measure at all, <laughs> and in, in a weird, in a, in a weird way, I kind of did that as a kind of a, I don't know, I, that whole thing irritates me a lot. That kind of, that you know, musicians need to be take themselves very serious, and uh, and you know, you 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 take yourself serious, you talk serious. You you know, I've gone to places and met people in the arts where, like, if I smile or laugh, they're nearly like. They nearly look at you and go, why are you being yourself? <laughs> That's a shame, really, isn't it? I mean, because it's, it's like... It's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. No, because imagine, it, it's kind of like, you know, if someone comes out and they have the whole Joy Division, Morrissey kind of angst, and then after the gig, they're like, hey, and laughing and smiling. They go, hey, that's not the guy that was on stage. And they go, that's just an image. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I I, kind of, funny, I wrote that song, The Measure, as that kind of a thing, just going, I don't know, did I get a bad review somewhere, you know, and I, I kind of got my back up. And I, and I kind of wrote that song as a piss pull, nearly. But, like, that song did the best business for me. Like, people love it, you know? And again, that's just kind of me going, well, look, at this is what it's all about. Like, you know, you want to reach people. I mean, there's no point being kind of edgy and all of this, but nobody hearing your music or it not really working or resonating with people. Like, I look, and I'm probably a little bit too caught up in all of that at the minute because there's no outlet at the moment, you know. So, like, spending too much time looking at um, Twitter yeah. and stuff. So, so what's your, <laughs> you know, just to, just let us or bring us through your songwriting process. I mean, you know, if you're sitting in your room or wherever you manage to be and an idea comes for a song, 
do you tend to finish the song in that moment or in that day or do you kind of just get an idea put it down and come back to it how do you do it no like say i tend to kind of get caught up in a song so if i start writing a song now sometimes you might start writing a song and finish it in an hour and and that can be a great song but they're few and far between like very rarely that happens for me, but I tend to kind of, I can get a verse and a chorus pretty handy and then the rest can be a little bit of a struggle or else just a little bit more work. So I generally, I tend to live with the song for a few weeks and, you know, I'm already editing whatever I have. Like I'll be going, oh, I don't need to say that there. I can cut that bit out or, oh, I'll say this bit a little differently. I, I'll start to tinker with chords, but I live with the song. And, you know, the song, I wake up with it in my head if it's any good and it's bugging me. It's kind of on my back going, finish me, you know. And, like, that's lovely because it's not like, that's not something I put on the long finger or on a, a to-do list, you know. It's there and it's in your head. You want to finish it. So I tend to live with a song or else a bunch of songs. I might have two or three of them on the go. And I, and I feel like if it'll keep at me. If it's any good, it'll keep at me to finish it, you know. And that that can take a while. Sometimes I might revisit, leave it alone for a little while, come back, finish it. or um, And then it gets tweaked again before you go into a studio or if you get to gig it, you might tweak it again. Um, so they change. You know, I mean, the songs I recorded on my last albums, uh, on all my albums, when I play them live now, they, they, they've got a different life now, you know. Um, so I find a good song does evolve a little bit, you know, and... Um, yeah, some of the ones I've written on the albums I've never revisited, and I think that's just the sign that maybe that's the way they're meant to be, just left there on an album, and hopefully people hear them and um, others kind of grow and go with you and, and you keep gigging them and stuff. But, um, yeah, the process is pretty much like that, Simon, and it, it, varies. it varies a lot as well. Like, I, there's no there's no hard, fast rule for it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be giving this songwriting workshop now soon, and you know, I wouldn't go in there there telling anyone that this is how it's, this is how you do it. You know, there's so many ways to do it, and there's no real right or wrong. You know, and as we said earlier, there's so many different tastes and that as well, and and genres that. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing about it is, and I I think when you look at it now, you can see on the internet and stuff some you know songwriting stuff. And every songwriter, I think, has different ways of doing it. You know, they might put ideas down and come back to those later on and start writing. I know other people finish the song in that moment very early. But then the thing is, when in the whole songwriting style, you know, someone said, oh, I might write a verse and then two years later write the chorus. So there's so many different ways to write songs, isn't there? Yeah, there's one song I have I wrote years ago uh, called Really Gone. It was on Bless Your Heart. And then actually John Martin sang a, a version of it. 2005 and then in 2012 it ended up on this film soundtrack where the actors sang it that's been one of them and I sing it at most of my gigs and people love it but I, I started writing that when I was about 17 or 18 I wrote the verse and chorus and I left it in a drawer and I think I was 22 or 3 when I came back and I finished it I did the second verse and the chorus and the outro and then it became a song but there was about 5 years between that being in a drawer and it could have easily disappeared you know but uh, it, that that has become possibly, you know, a song that really touches people at gigs. It's weird. It's been recorded a few times, though. It's, it's on. Jeez, I've recorded it twice myself, and, and it's been recorded twice by other people. But um, 
it's never worked in the studio. I find it's, well, maybe the John Martin version is lovely for something to it. Um, but like I've gigged it live where it's been like, oh, people go, that's a great sound. There's something that happens when that song is played live. But for whatever reason, it can't be captured uh, that I've seen yet on, on record. Yeah, no, I, I do. I agree with you. That's the thing about some songs. You might sing a song and people say, oh, you should record that song or something. And then it could be one of those songs where you're thinking, I'm not sure how to record it or how it'll work. It, it kind of it lives in that moment of being live. Whereas you're, you can't kind of find a place to put it in a studio or like, do I do it in this style or do I do it this tempo or whatever? Some songs are, even though they're the most simple, simplest and they're, you know, they, they sound like they'll be easy to do, can be the hardest work. Yeah, like, again, I suppose that's the whole mystery of it. And that's why I like, that's why I never fall out of love with rock, writing songs or recording them because... Like going in to record a song, you you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Like it could be amazing, it could be terrible. It's always starting from scratch. It's like um, I look at you do learn, you live and learn with stuff, and you get better at it. I think, but um, I think that's the mystery of going in to record. It's like you this thing could fall flat or this thing could jump out at you, and you have to figure out the best way to do that. You know, so it is a bit of a mystery. Like I'm sure the right producer or artist could make that song sound good on, on record, but um, I haven't discovered a way to do that. And maybe it's a thing too, that the song, it's so old now too. It's very, it's very hard to revisit old songs. Like the river flows is an old song of mine, you know? So that, that for me is weird. Like that's another song that people go, Oh, that's a great song. They say to me, that's one of your best. So I had that recording of it from eight years ago. And that's where I got Gabby to do the vocal on it. It wasn't released. And I did my vocal, but it's very hard to connect to an old song like that, you know, when you go to record it again, because it's not it's not new and it's, it doesn't feel like mine anymore. It feels like it's out there. And um, that's OK, too. But um, even from a promotion point of view, I feel I, I don't know why I feel like a little bit of an imposter releasing uh, an eight year old song again, even though it's no big deal, because so many people haven't heard it, you know. But that- and I know the la- like last year we released a new single, but that single we had had been a 10 year old song that was more of a rocky song. And we turned into kind of a more dancey, upbeat song. And it's amazing because if you have a song, it can find another life or so I don't think there's any harm. And, and it's for, for sure, if you've never released it. Uh, for sure, it's it's still new and original. But even if you have released it, you can do different versions. I, I think there's no shame in that. Oh God, no, there isn't really. I don't know why, but I guess I guess as a writer, for me anyway, um, you know, I it's lovely to move on. It's lovely to keep the narrative going. You know, um, be it good or bad. You know, I I find that revisiting old stuff is hard. I know some people oh, maybe you should do re-record these songs. Like if somebody said to me now, here's. 10 grand go into the studio and re-record bless your heart i'd find that like that'd be hard work that'd be hard work i wouldn't get out of that you know no and you know it's mad there because just when we're talking about re-recording you see there when there's big money involved artists can do it but maybe they don't like doing it i saw there where taylor swift re-recorded one of her albums because the the record company owned the masters to the original so she re-recorded it but that's all about money yeah now if i was offered her kind of money i'd do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You'd be like, I'll re-record yeah, everything. Yeah, of course you would. No, you would, of course. Uh, that's you a- did, obviously, as well, the soundtrack, for, soundtrack that songs for Amy, and you were kind of composing on that. How was that experience? Uh, that that was amazing. Um, that was unbelievable. Like, um, I I couldn't I, when it, that the ball started to roll on that. I was kind of dubious about it because I I just didn't know it all sounded too good to be true. Like I I was doing a gig in Claren Bridge. Imagine I was I was hired by this bunch of um a bunch of guys from England. These stockbrokers were having a big dinner there, so there was like ten of them. And it was more into the weird, the, the fish restaurant, uh, the seafood restaurant. So they had this little room off the side of the restaurant. And they, they brought me in with the PA and like I was stuck in the corner. And these guys were getting so drunk. And I was, it was one of them tough gigs. Like, and next thing, the guy who booked me, they were hammered. And they're like, they said, let's go outside like and bring the musician out and the PA. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. It was a really sunny day, you know. I was kind of going, oh, I don't want to do this, but they were carrying out my speakers before I could say anything. So I'm outside playing for them. They're all drunk. And um, there's other people sitting around as well. And there was this lady sitting over there um, in the corner with a couple of friends. And she came over and said, oh, God, I love your voice. Have you got any original songs? And I happened to have a copy of Bless Your Heart with me. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And I gave her the CD. And she's she had a few drinks as well. And she was like, oh, I'm making a film. And of the script written and it's about a songwriter from Galway who, who sends songs to his ex who moved to New York and I was just going yeah 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 whatever like this you know nothing's gonna come of this so then she contacted me to say oh a couple of these songs might work on it and I met her and I met the people making the film and it, it kind of it started to snowball where you know I, I wrote songs for it I ended up recording all the stuff I worked with the lead actor, Sean McGuire, who played the lead role for months, and we became great friends. Like, I mean, he's the reason I've gone to L.A. every year. He's a, one of my best friends. You know, he's, they're expecting their third child, and I'm going to be the godfather to the child. So that, that'll tell you kind of, you know, how you don't know the things that will come out of out of situations like being on tour or a little gig. So I ended up doing this whole soundtrack, and... And they brought us to LA to promote it and brought us to Cannes Film Festival and it was a wonderful experience. Like I got I got to be on set and work with Sean and kind of you know, just advise on how you play guitar and, and sing and all of that and, and help him sing the songs and so that led to so many things like, you know, the, the connections and friends I met in LA and my last album I met in LA. None of that would have happened had I not been dragged out of that room with the PA kicking and screaming, you know? Wow. It, it's really crazy because that situation where you're like, oh, fuck this shit. I don't want to be outside now. And if you had said, if you had put your foot down and said, no, lad, sorry, no, the other situation wouldn't have happened at all, probably. That's interesting that you put it that way because sometimes I get mad at myself for being a bit of a pushover, you know? And uh, there's a situation where it works to your advantage. Just, <laughs> it worked. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, if I didn't... If that if I didn't leave that room, you know, I don't know what way my music career would have went. It really did change yeah. a lot. It's it's funny, isn't it? Those sometimes those accidental pivotal moments can do something for you, and you don't realize. And and I think that goes even for like certain songs you'll write that maybe you'll think that's not a great song, and uh, you know it's a it's a, a joke of a song for me or whatever. Like you were mentioning there with with the what's it called the, the other song you said that yeah. 
it, some songs you might write and you think, no, I, I, I don't take that song seriously. But it could be a huge success for you and change your career. Yeah, no, that's all I remember sitting there. I kind of remember. I don't really remember writing songs or how they happen. But I do remember writing that and having a little bit of a skit nearly. Like, it was just a bit, you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then Pete really resonated with people. And, like, I, I have to say, even when I play it to this day, you kind of go, ooh, now that I'm far enough away, removed from it, I can safely kind of go, that is a good song, you know, um, from a distance. You know, you can just look at it technically as a song and go, that's a good song. Um, so, no, it's, yeah, things are, and, you know, I suppose that that's the thing with the COVID hitting and, you know, you don't know how things would have went had you gotten to go on that tour. You don't know who you would have met. It's, it's so important to be out there and... And that's how it just a question for you. Obviously, with all the artists you've met and you know worked with some fantastic singers and producers and everything, but you know, do you find sometimes in the whole music industry, do you ever feel like, oh, I don't fit into this world? Especially when you're in LA, do you ever feel like, oh, this is like, you know, you have to be somebody else here? Do you ever find that difficult? Uh, weirdly enough, no. Like out there, I don't. LA is a funny place. Like the people I met out there, I ended up doing some shows at a place called Largo, which is an amazing venue. But like, kind of found the opposite. I found the people out there who are doing this for a living and they do well at it. They're all quite refreshing. Like they're all lovely people to chat to. You know, they're very approaching that. And whether there might be an element of me being out there in the sun, and I know I'm out there for a short time, so you're a little bit more like, let's go for this than you would. Then you would be knocking around Galway. You know you're on holidays pretty much, like so you're you're in that different mode. But any of the people I met out there, music music wise, like the guys I recorded the album with, you couldn't have met a nicer bunch of guys. Like I, I went into a studio for three days with them, and these are all Grammy winning guys who play with some of the biggest artists in the world. And I didn't for a moment feel nervous or insecure because they're just really hard working guys they're, there's no there's no graces about them they're, they all have jobs to do and I think that's the difference that's their career that's their job and I think when you're that good of a they're great musicians Jesus but like I think it's it's as important to be a certain type of person you know to do that job like if you, if one of them went in there with a big ego and started playing loads of licks on the double bass or something playing all over it, then they wouldn't fit in with the other guys like it wouldn't everybody knows their place in the song it's a group thing like you know so um i didn't really see that side of la thankfully which i'm sure is there like i'm i mean i'm sure it's there but all i had out there was like really good experiences with the musician like i, I got to sing a song with jackson brown one night which was off the chart and like um Owen McCann, you know Owen McCann? You know, Owen was with me, like, spent the summer out there with me, and we went to do the gig at Largo, and we didn't, we couldn't bring our guitars. So Owen had a guitar, it wasn't great, there wasn't a pickup in it, and we met Jackson Brown. <laughs> he was on the gig with us, and he, the first he just said to Owen, is that your guitar? And Owen was like, yeah, and he said, there's no pickup here, check out mine. And he brought Owen over, and like, here, you want to try this guitar and stuff? Yeah, and my sister with me as well. She's on holidays, and and Ben Montage from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was there, and uh, a guy on double bass who can't think of his name now, but he was actually 
He's, a, he's an amazing... Mike Alessandro, I think is his name. Oh, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. But he was like um, Dr. Dre's right-hand man in the studio. Like, he did a lot of the... Yeah, like, this guy, he wrote a lot of 50 Cent songs and that in the club and all of this. So, like, this guy is worth bloody millions. But he'd show up to this folk gig with the double bass. Uh, and, like, you know, tattooed guy, kind of Mexican guy, like, uh, but love, just amazing musician. But as soon as we walked in, you know, we were all a bit like, oh, Jesus, these are just some heavy hitters here. Like, we stood by the side of the stage. But one by one, they just all come over, shaking hands, introducing themselves. And so, you know, there was no experience. It was, But I think something that the Americans get that sometimes we don't all get here is that, like, they all knew that we were doing a show that night, like, and there's going to be an audience there. And rule number one is like, just make everybody feel comfortable. Because once people feel comfortable, you're going to play better. You know, the rapport between everyone is going to be really good. That's going to resonate in the playing of the songs. The the, the audience will feel that. So I think they're they're experts at that over there, you know. Even if some of it is fake, so what? Like it's great. At least it gets the buzz going. It makes everybody comfortable. And none of it was fake. Now they're just they're decent people. But um, there's a level, there's a level of professionalism there that is kind of it's great to see. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, that's great when you have that experience there, you know. So listen, uh, Ulton, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you know, I just want to ask you, obviously, you know, with everything kind of held up and everything what do you think will you kind of do for the rest of the year like obviously you're going to keep working for the next few months with the special needs but do you feel like you're going to maybe look towards doing a gig this year at all or you leave it till next year you know i've just given up predicting stuff you know everybody you just get tired of going oh in a couple of months this might happen like, i have a gig up in the workman's club that's been postponed four times now i've lost track of it I have a running joke with Vinny who, who books the gigs there. Like I'm just, I'd email him to go that time again, Vinny to uh, postpone the gig. So that's happened in October now. I'd be hopeful it happens in October, but no, I'm not. I mean, a couple of people emailed me recently about gigs in June and July or July and August. I haven't gotten back yet. Cause I'm just a bit like what's going on, but like I do the special needs thing till the end of May and um, but like I'm writing songs, Simon. I'm doing the songwriting workshop. My friend Sean McGuire has a the conservatory kind of school out of LA. Um, so I'll be doing a songwriting workshop with them in, over the summer as well. Uh, I'm producing this song as well for an artist. Um, and I, I'm kind of looking at doing a few little different things like that and taking my time writing songs. I'm not going to put pressure on myself to release something. Now, I've, I've done quite a lot in the last year. Like I did my album last April. I had a couple of sing, three singles off that. And then I had, um, I had a song out with Casey Teesby last October, a lovely cover of an old Elvis song. And then I had the river flow. So that's a lot kind of, I kept showing up in the last year and I, I'm kind of exhausted from that. So I'm happy to step back and do a few other things and, and, um, and not put much pressure on myself. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, yeah, that's great because, you, you know, you deserve a little break. You've done a lot of good work over the last few months and the last few years, you know. So, I, I mean, you know, hopefully long may it continue for you. And, you know, I want to commend you on all your albums so far. And, you know, slowly but surely you're building your name up there as, you know, <laughs> one of Ireland's great folk artists and everything. So I, I think fair play to you for that. 
I'll be Starbucks before I know it. You'll be Starbucks. You're going from, well, you'll be Starbucks <laughs> with, the, with that small cafe feel, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. I know what time it is. It's nice. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the body of work I've done. And look, at, I kind of feel like if, if I can keep doing it, I'd be delighted. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm, I still have a lot to offer. Like, so, but it's weird. I turned 41 there in March. So you do have this little thing of going, ooh, I'm in a different sphere. Oh, you know, you're a fella in his 40s is up against it, like, you know. Yeah, it's well, not, I, I, I think that's not, there. What's the coolest, yeah. of, uh, what you call it, the, you know, your 30s are okay. 50s, I might, you know, get a resurgence. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think though, that's kind of the thing, though, with, with certain types of music, it is more difficult. I mean, if you're doing pop and you know, rock, grunge and whatever, you know, maybe you're, you don't want to be like Mick Jagger on the stage. But I, I think with, with a lot of, with a lot of, you know, folk music and everything and, and kind of that acoustic music, you can play it up till you're 95. There's no problem. Ah, yeah, you know? no, and there's an element I really like of getting older in that sense that like, you know, you, you need to age gracefully in that sense too. What I'm writing now and the way I produce my next album, you know, I, I like that it might be a reflection of where I'm at at this age, you know. I certainly won't be putting on Converse or skinny jeans. No, and, no, uh, no. And trying to do something <laughs> uncomfortable as wearing them. Music, I won't do anything like that. No, no, I'll do, what's, I'll do something comfortable and there's something that fits. <laughs> so listen, uh, you might play a bit of a song for us to, to end out the show, would you? Okay. I'm actually laughing. Converse and skinny jeans aren't even in. That's like... like <laughs> <laughs> You're going to bring them back. You're bringing them back. So, 10 or 15 years ago. <laughs> so, listen, Ulton, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we will we'll, we will kind of plug your stuff uh, when the podcast comes out. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. And we look forward to hearing more from you. Yeah, okay. I'll I, I give a blast of the measure. I'll give you a verse in the course. That's, since we happen to speak about it so much. Sunny and rainy, it's all in my mind, it's not on my plate, and I gotta die. I gotta die. Give me something to work for, come rain, day or shine. Be taking it easy, but I find that it's rough. Got no money to pay for all that usual stuff. No, I ain't gotta die. No, I ain't gotta die. There's a time and a place and so much space to talk the line. Could this be the measure of me and the whole of you? I want to get lost inside, hit that perfect groove before it all comes true. Get the measure of who we are. Wow, brilliant. There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ulton. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for reaching out and thanks for asking me to come on. You're welcome. Ulton Connell, everybody. Thank you.
Okay, thank you very much, Alton. That was some lovely music and interesting chat with you as well. And thank you for letting us in on some of your processes and the way you write your songs. It was really insightful and interesting. Okay, so moving on to next week's guest. Sean Keane from County Galway is described as the greatest musical find of the 90s. Traditional Irish folk and even country and blues songs all lend themselves to his uniquely style and forgettable voice. Growing up in a family of singers and musicians, he is known for his distinctive Shano style voice. Sean learned the Shano style of singing from his mother and his aunts. Sean is a singer and multi-instrumentalist of skill, acclaim and flair. He is rooted firmly in all Ireland with the Keane family tradition of Shano singing. Sean's voice has untold depth, range and maturity. His skill on the flute, whistles and pipes with which he punctuates songs make his work unforgettable. Okay, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to this week's show, and we hope to see you on the next one. So until then, look after yourselves, look after each other, and take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.